it's my pleasure to announce that this month, we're officially a part of the Phantom Podcast Network. If you like horror, and if you're listening to me right now, I'm guessing you probably do, you're going to love the other podcasts on the network. Whether you're looking for horror reviews, discussions, or more horror fiction, there's something for you there. Check them all out at downrightcreepy.com phantom. Things can get strange when large groups of people gather together. Outbreaks, riots, mass hysteria. In groups, when something affects the individual, it affects the whole. You ever heard of something called the Dancing Plague of 1518? It's 1518 and we're in Strasbourg, Germany. At this point in history, Strasbourg is part of the Holy Roman Empire. Sometime in July, an individual named Frau Trophy begins dancing by herself in the street. By the end of the week, 34 others have joined in. Within a month, 400 people are dancing. The authorities, unable to stop the growing crowd of revelers, open guild halls and construct a wooden stage in an effort to keep them off the street. And before you go away thinking this was all mere frivolity, let me tell you about the toll the dancing caused. People suffered strokes, heart attacks, and exhaustion. Fifteen people per day are estimated to have died from the plague. What could possibly cause 400 individuals to dance nonstop until they were bruised, broken, bleeding, or dead? Maybe it was witchcraft. Maybe they were possessed. Some historians believe it was stress-induced hysteria because the region was rife with starvation. Maybe they just needed an escape. Other historians blame a fungus that grows on wheat and contains psychoactive chemicals. So maybe they were all just high as hell. This month on Death, Dying, and Other Things, two stories of strange group behavior. In the first, going away, a man's friends start behaving erratically at a going away party. In the second, dive, a dive bar in the middle of nowhere always has a crowd. Death and dying are the thresholds between this world and the next, the boundary between light and dark, the barrier between worlds, and that's where we're going. We are going into the shadows to bring you stories of horror and heartbreak. From the Phantom Podcast Network, this is Death, Dying, and Other Things. I'm Justin Buskey. Stay with us. never late. I'm one of those people that prides myself on being on time, but today I was late. I couldn't find my keys, such a simple thing. I always leave them in the same spot, right on the corner of the side table in the living room, but today they weren't there. I found them in the bathroom, 
on the floor between the wall and the trash can. Then there was an accident on 4th. I ended up having to take the long way. There was this cop started showing up behind me, too. Then he'd turn off down a side street, and before I knew it, he'd be behind me again. I thought I was going to get pulled over, so I slowed down. When I finally got there, the party had been underway for at least an hour, and like I said, while I was usually one of the first to arrive, tonight I was among the last to get there. It was Chris's going-away party. He'd been a staple in my social circles for at least ten years, but he'd gotten a good job a few states over, and so was packing up and moving in the next couple weeks. We'd put together this party to really see him off, and, I guess, to show him how much we'd miss him. It was a surprise party, which again I missed, in our mutual friend Frank's house. I turned up with two six-packs of beer and did the usual song and dance of trying to find room in a crowded refrigerator. I ended up leaving nine beers on the counter, walking away with two for myself and one for Chris, wanting to catch up to everyone else while my beers were still cold. I looked for two sets of eyes when I walked back into the living room. First, I looked for Chris's, nearby the kitchen and talking to another of our friends, Steve. The second, I caught Monica's eyes from across the room, just to make sure she was there. Chris was already tired of repeating himself when I handed him the beer and asked him if he was excited, if he had found a place yet, if his new company was providing any moving expenses. Yes, he was excited. Yes, he had found a place. No, they weren't paying for him to move. We tapped the necks of our beer bottles together and I upended mine, making Chris promise we'd do shots by the end of the night. Then he wandered off into the mass of twenty or so other friends we had invited, and I tossed my first empty into the trash. Across the room, I caught Monica's eyes again. She waved and smiled pleasantly, which brought to mind the jasmine perfume she always wore. I liked the smell of jasmine. The thing about parties that I've always had the hardest time with is that they're non-stop. Non-stop small talk, non-stop conversations. And beer makes it easier eventually, but never entirely erases the anxiety I have when trying to come up with the next turn in the conversation. I've developed a technique against this, though. I never talk to one person or set of people for too long. Ten, fifteen minutes in, I excuse myself for one reason or another. Bathroom, a call I need to make or take, drinks empty. I finish a lot of drinks far faster than I should this way. Frank stopped me on my way back to the kitchen on one such occasion. You seen this, he said, pulling up his phone. He scrolled and tapped the glass screen and then held it up to my face, a white screen in the dim living room. My pupils shrank down to pinholes, trying to shield my retinas from the miniature sun. Hey, watch it, I shouted, raising my arms and turning my head. The dim living room was now barely visible to my eyes. I thought I saw some people nearby glance over. The dim light made it difficult to see their faces, but their eyes must have caught a light somewhere in the room, reflecting blazing red eyes back at me. I was acutely aware I was causing a scene. I shot a look over to the last place I remembered seeing Monica, but I couldn't tell if she was there or not. Oh, sorry, Frank said. He adjusted the brightness and showed me the phone again. An article he was trying to show me, or at least I think it was an article. There was a headline, but I couldn't read the words. There was a photo, but it was out of focus. The text shifted even as I was trying to read it. My head started swimming. Crazy, right? 
right down the street from where Chris is moving. Lucky bastard. I laughed as if to agree, and finished my trip into the kitchen. I took a shot alone in there, and when Chris made a stop in the kitchen, I had a shot with him too. We grimaced and high-fived, and when I went to put the shot glass back on the counter, I misjudged the distance, and it fell to the tile floor. Oh shit, I said, dropping to my knees to pick up the pieces of glass. I glanced up, looking through the doorway to the living room to see if anyone else beside Chris had seen. Three sets of blazing red eyes stared at me from the couch, judging. Red eyes. Hey man, Chris laughed. We all break a glass now and again. He grabbed the broom, handed me the dustpan, and swept up the mistake. On the couch a few minutes later, I was talking to Monica. Or at least she was talking to me asking me about work, and I was only half paying attention to my answers, alternately glancing around the room for anyone else judging me for my party foul and losing myself in her deep green eyes. I heard you were up for a promotion. Yeah, a couple months ago. Did you get it? My mind was spinning, partly from the drinks and partly from Monica's jasmine perfume enveloping me. Huh? Did you get it? Get what? The promotion. Oh, no. Um, someone else from the department got it. Owen. Kind of a prick. Probably why he got it over me. She laughed, and I was momentarily proud of myself for making her laugh. You just got one too, right? I asked, knowing full well she had exactly three weeks ago started taking clients at the tattoo shop she had apprenticed at for the last two years. Right, I don't know if you'd call it a promotion, but yeah. You were looking to start your other sleeve, yeah? Some commotion past Monica's left shoulder drew my eyes. Someone was on the ground, I couldn't tell who. Someone else pointed at me. Then five pairs of red eyes were staring bloody daggers into mine. That one you were telling me about a while ago, right? Monica noticed I wasn't paying attention and followed my eyes back to the scene, then looked back to me. Right? Huh? I looked back at her deep green eyes. The tattoo? Oh, yeah. My eyes wandered back past Monica's shoulder and I couldn't find the person on the ground, or the person pointing, or the five pairs of judging eyes. I'm just saying, I need clients. She shifted on the couch, trying to position herself between me and my distracted gaze. She leaned forward. Hey, um, do you want to go in the other room? She asked. And do what? I asked, scanning the room for any sign of the turbulence I had just seen. Fuck, she said. My eyes shot to her eyes, then to her smirking lips. My ears and cheeks started burning. I did. I did want to go in the other room and fuck. I had wanted to go in the other room and fuck Monica for as long as I knew her. Yes, I said. A car crash happened right in front of me. Her face fell, and then she was saying, Oh, no, no, I could tell you weren't really listening. I I was just joking, just trying to get your attention. Other people had started listening in on our conversation, and now were breaking off eye contact and putting space between us, distancing themselves from the catastrophe. Monica jumped up from the couch and announced she was going to get a drink. No one sat down to take her place. 
My chest grew tighter. It felt impossible to breathe. I gasped for air, trying to suck oxygen down, trying to swallow it with gratuitous gulps. I slipped into the bathroom. Frank had straightened up in there, but it was still pretty messy. The mirror was streaked and the sink was caked with dry toothpaste. There was a thin layer of dust over everything and it smelled like mildew. I cupped my hands under the tap and sucked some water into my mouth, swishing it around and then spitting. I rinsed my face off with cold water. I looked at myself in the mirror. I looked different. My nose was bigger than normal. I looked away and rubbed my eyes before looking back. My nose was back to normal, but now my eyes were slightly crossed. I looked away from the mirror again, and when I looked back, my eyes were okay, but now my hairline was receding. I got close. I could see the individual follicles struggle to hold onto each strand of hair before giving up and letting the hair fall freely. Each one tumbled down in front of my eyes and fell into some unseen pile in the sink. Running my finger through my hair, tugging at it, nothing illuminated what was happening in front of my eyes in the mirror. I stared, stared into the mirror until my eyes started bleeding. The music was off when I finally returned to the hallway. No one was waiting for the bathroom either, which surprised me because of how long I had been in there. Normally, the bathroom was the third most popular room at our parties, behind the kitchen and whichever room was designated for smoking. I rounded the corner back into the living room and was greeted with faces turned towards me from each and every guest at the party. They had all gathered standing in the center of the living room, silent and still. Their eyes fixed on me, not white anymore, but deep red spheres set in stone faces. The going away party had died, morphing into something else, and I suddenly felt profoundly unsafe. Hey, what's going on? I asked, looking from one set of crimson eyes to another. When no one answered, I forced out a laugh, expecting it was some kind of joke to get anxious Mike to get over himself. I'm getting a beer. Anyone need anything? I asked, not expecting an answer. It felt predictable, as in a nightmare, when you know that something frightening is about to happen but you can't explain how you know. I slipped into the kitchen with no intention of grabbing another drink. I was going to leave them in their weird, silent party, but I needed to grab my keys first, which I had left on the counter. I wrapped my finger around my keys, and from the other room, music started up again. I leaned over and glanced back into the living room. People were sitting, talking, laughing, like everything was normal. No stone faces, no crimson eyes. I put the keys in my pocket, and... When I got back into the living room, shouted over the music. What was that about, guys? What do you mean? Frank asked. The mannequin routine, I said. I don't know what you're talking about, man. You joking? I asked. Man, grab a beer and come relax, he said. Chris doesn't have much time left in this world. I laughed, and so did a few of the people who were listening. I grabbed a beer from the fridge. Monica came up to me an hour later to apologize. It had always been kind of an open secret how I felt about her. It's all right, I said, faking a laugh. We're all adults here. We smiled at each other, and I held out my drink, and she clinked hers into mine. Thanks, she said. I didn't mean... Don't mention it. 
I said, cutting her off. I can't remember when the room started spinning, but I do remember it was abrupt. A few too many shots chased with a few too many beers. I couldn't even sit up straight. I cradled a glass of water someone must have handed me and posted up at the kitchen table, staring down into the wood grain. Someone came into the kitchen looking for a beer from the fridge, I guessed. I glanced up at them, squinting against the harsh fluorescent light. I couldn't tell who it was, but whoever it was kept their eyes fixed on me. Their face was a smear of drunken perception, but I could feel their red eyes searing their judgment into my forehead. Need anything? The nameless person said. No, I shouted into the blurry void. They left, and before long a second person had arrived. Their condescending crimson eyes were the only thing that came into sharp focus through the spinning haze. They got close to me, leaned down so their face was level with mine. Pathetic, they whispered, and pushed their index finger into my forehead, throwing me off balance. Their breath carried the stench of rotten meat and honey into my nostrils. I felt my throat tighten, but I sipped my water and focused, keeping the wave of nausea at bay. This second intruder straightened up, turned, and left. A third interloper slithered into the kitchen and didn't even have the decency to pretend to get a drink before shoving those bulbous red spheres it called eyes in my face. This one didn't say anything, just opened its eyes wider. It reached up and pinched its eyelid between its thumb and forefinger and pulled, peeling it back, peeling it off, and soon it was ripping off chunks of flesh like you would the peel off a banana. It dropped each sinewy strip on the table in front of me, each addition to the pile hitting with a soft plop. Mounds of thin strips of skin and muscle piled up on the table in front of me, and soon all that was left of its face was a smooth white surface with two bulging red sacks. It stood inches from me, staring for what seemed like hours, and then the two red sacks burst first the left and then the right, erupting with red sludge. The sludge oozed down its face in two thick columns before small black worms wriggled out of their crimson prison. My stomach couldn't take it anymore. I jumped up and pushed past it, hurrying out of the kitchen. I stared into the toilet, attempting to control my nausea like only a drunk person does, fighting my body trying to keep the poison down. Are you okay? Monica asked. I spun my head around. I hadn't heard her follow me in. The room was spinning. Her face was a smear of beige and red. Fine, I muttered back, trying to focus on her. She didn't move, didn't say another word, just watched from the corner of the bathroom. I turned back to the toilet and couldn't hold it together anymore. What came up my throat was hot, like battery acid or boiling soup, but smooth and silky in texture. It splattered into the bowl, painting the white porcelain red. I tasted maple syrup and jasmine perfume. I went blind, and I collapsed to the floor.
If you're looking for a way to help us here at Death Dying and Other Things, the coolest thing you can do for us is to rate us wherever you listen to us. If you have already, thank you. And if you haven't, now's the perfect time to do it. Sergio's eyes darted from face to face, each with their own eyes fixed on him and his partner, Nina. The tone in the bar had suddenly turned from one of jovial imbibing to somber seriousness when they passed through the door. One of the many faces, attached to its body by a flimsy neck, slid out from the crowd and bumped into Sergio. The man was tall, had a foot on Sergio at least. Welcome to the hideaway, he sneered from above, sending spit careening down onto Sergio's chest. Make yourself at home. He sauntered away, proud of himself, and Nina reached over to grab Sergio's arm. The fuck was that about? Sergio asked. Dunno, Nina said, but I don't think we're welcome. It was nearing eleven o'clock. Sergio and his girlfriend Nina had been traveling down Route 65 toward Texas when they spotted this lonely dive called the Hideaway, miles from anything, and decided to stop in for a drink. There was only one other car in the dirt lot next to the place, but when they got inside the place was full, standing room only, and all eyes were on the pair. I think we should leave, Sergio said. Nah, fuck that. Nina said as she watched the lanky man join back up with his friends and have a good laugh at Sergio's expense. We're getting drinks. Sergio nodded and took Nina by the hand, forcing his way through the crowd and to the bar. Nina leaned in, wedging her way between two people seated at the bar, and shouted to the bartender. Two vodka tonics, she said. Ain't got tonic, the bartender said without even looking up to meet Nina's eyes. Ain't got vodka. Two whiskeys, then, she said. Whiskey I got, he said, and poured two whiskeys neat and slid them across the bar. How much? Nina asked. On the house, bartender said. Welcome to the hideaway. Nina grabbed the drinks and raised them towards the bartender, then turned and handed one back to Sergio. There was space to stand in the far corner of the bar, Space enough for two, and that's where Nina and Sergio settled to sip their drinks. They didn't say much to each other, just sat back and watched the crowd. Didn't look this busy from the outside, Nina said. No, Sergio said. It didn't. Sergio pushed the swinging door to the surprisingly large bathroom and tiptoed over to the urinal. It was empty in here, not another soul. Surprising with the fracas that was happening just down the hallway on the other side of the door. Standing there, it struck him how clean this bathroom was. It was probably the cleanest public restroom he'd ever been in, period. Add in the fact that he was here in this dive bar, and the rest of the place wasn't exactly tidy, and it set the hairs on his arms and the back of his neck straight up. He flushed the urinal and turned to take in his surroundings. Five urinals, two sinks, and a single stall. The floor and half the walls were tiled powder blue and white, reminding Sergio of the hospital he had an extended stay in 
when he was in his teens after the car crash. There was a large drain in the center of the floor, as there usually was in public restrooms for the times when someone's a little overzealous on the toilet, but this one had a large rubber stopper shoved into it, a black rubber plug. He could only guess why. The urinal behind him finished its flushing cycle and then Sergio was left standing in the center of this impeccably clean bathroom in near silence. The music from the other room, though filtering back here, was distorted and faint, like it was traveling through several feet of water. The sound of splashing and sloshing emerged from the solitary stall, and a wave of embarrassment washed over Sergio. He rushed to the sink while the splashing continued, trying to hurry out of the bathroom and give whoever was in there some privacy. He skipped drying his hands, pushed the door open with his foot, and glanced backward toward the stall. In the space between the bottom of the stall walls and the floor, all he saw was white porcelain. No legs, no feet, no hint of who could be causing the sounds in that toilet that continued even then. Ready? Nina asked when Sergio had returned. He tipped his glass and let the last of the whiskey fly past his tongue. Yeah, let's go, he said. Sergio grabbed Nina's hand and the pair pushed themselves back through the crowded bar towards the door. The crowd kept their eyes trained on the couple, and when they got to the front of the hideaway, the lanky man was waiting. You can't leave now, he said. Be irresponsible of me to let you drive after you've been drinking. We had one drink. We can handle ourselves, Sergio shot back. Yeah, we're fine, Nina said backing Sergio up, but suddenly aware of how much she was slurring. I can drive just fine, Sergio continued, the words spilling out of his mouth like steel ball bearings coated in motor oil. The lanky man laughed. Sure don't look it. Nina came too, shoved in the corner of a large powder blue and white tiled room. Her eyes took a moment to focus while she scanned the room. There were sinks against the wall, the walls of a stall on the far wall, urinals near where she was hunched over, four or five or six people in between. How many exactly she couldn't be sure, her eyes were playing tricks on her. She tried to get to her feet, but there was something in her system keeping her weak. The people, however many there were, stayed focused on what one was doing near the stall. He was hunched over a pile of something or other. A dark shape was all Nina could make out. She propped herself up, using both hands and her feet to wedge herself into the corner of the room and slide up the wall. Once she was on her feet, she tried to shake out the cobwebs and get a better look at what was happening. Everyone was so focused on the far side that no one noticed her regain consciousness. Her eyes focused. There were five men in here, the lanky man and four others. The lanky man was the one hunched over that pile near the stall. It wasn't a pile, though. It was a body. She could see the arms and legs now, and the body was wearing Sergio's clothes. Sergio? She shouted above the commotion. Sergio didn't answer, but one of the nearby men turned and lunged at her. Nina tried to duck away from him, but she was too slow. He grabbed her and lifted her up. Her head rolled and slammed into the wall. Stars rained down on her vision, blinding her. We need her too, the man who had a hold of Nina shouted toward the stall. Nina's vision returned to see the lanky man glance up at her. Nah, this one should be plenty. 
The lanky man stood and reached toward the ceiling. He grabbed a rope, attached to a pulley, and then a second and third man did the same. They pulled the rope which hoisted Sergio's body by the feet into the air. Nina struggled against the man holding her, but whatever drugs they had given them had sapped her strength. The lanky man produced a knife from his pocket and ran it right across the side of Sergio's neck. Nina groaned and then turned to shouting nonsense, unleashing her rage and grief, but unable to act on it. The man holding her threw her limp body over his shoulder and pushed the bathroom door open. Nina, just before the man had removed her from the bathroom, saw something she still blames on the drugging. Past Sergio, past the blood, past the lanky man and his knife, past the stall door, Nina saw something wet and slick and red and yellow reach out of the toilet towards Sergio's swaying body. Nina landed face down on the cold desert ground. The metal door slammed shut behind her. The dust mixed with her saliva, filling her mouth with gritty sludge. She pushed herself up and spit a couple times, getting as much dirt out of her mouth as she could. The saliva mixed with the tears that were already falling, speckling the desert ground. Standing up was tough. Something had cracked in her chest. Maybe a rib. Maybe she just pulled a muscle. The desert stretched out into dark void here in the back of the hideaway. There was no light to see by, except that of the stars shining overhead and what little blue neon spilled around the building from the sign out front. She hobbled over to the door. It was locked, so she tried to pound on it, but just ended up slapping it. Let me in, she said, between sobs. Slap. What are you doing with him? Slap. The third time she struck the metal door, she noticed the ground beneath her feet shake. Small rocks vibrated along the ground, pushed by some slight, barely perceptible earthquake. Something dripped into her left eye. She wiped it away with her fingers, felt the sting right above her eyebrow, and looked at the dark fluid on her fingertips. She held the back of her wrist against the wound, trying to stop up the bleeding grabbed her ribcage where the pain was growing unbearable, and limped along the edge of the building. Rounding the corner, she was in the small dirt lot she and Sergio had parked in earlier. There were still only the two cars, theirs and one other. She pulled her feet along past their car and the other, and round to the front of the building. She didn't know what she was planning on doing when she got back in there. She wasn't thinking straight and the door would probably be locked anyway. The front door, in fact, was still open, and a bell sounded as she leaned against it. She spilled into the dark, empty bar and met the bartender's eyes with her own. They were the kind eyes of an old woman who'd been tending the bar for far too long, eyes that Nina didn't recognize from earlier. Oh, sorry, the bartender said. I was just getting ready to close. She trailed off as she got a better look at Nina. Are you okay, hon? Nina looked around the room. It looked like they hadn't served a patron here for years. Nina drug her feet across the stained carpet toward the back of the bar. Every step hurt. Should I call the sheriff? Nina slipped into the hallway and down toward the men's room. 
She pushed open the swinging door and found a small, dirty bathroom, like you would in any other dive bar along any other highway. She felt her legs give out, and she pressed her back to the hallway's wall to steady herself. As she slid down the wall, Nina looked back toward the bar and saw the bartender ducking her head into the hallway, confused and concerned, watching Nina collapse to the floor. You don't want me to call anyone? The bartender asked again. Sheriff, maybe? Nina laughed. What's the sheriff gonna do? This episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things was produced and edited by me, Justin Buskey. The stories, both Going Away and Dive, were written by me, too. You can follow me on Twitter, at Justin Buskey. Intro and outro music is by the prolific Eric Warnke. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to Dive Bars and to Dancing. Death, Dying, and Other Things is a member of the Phantom Podcast Network. Check out all the other great shows. New episodes the first Thursday of every month. This has been Death, Dying, and Other Things, and I've been your host, Justin Buskey. Stay out of the shadows. Thank you.